Uh, hello everyone, welcome back to the Green and Moment Show podcast here on Newcastle Fans TV. We have just spoken to Bryn Law. Bryn Law, you're probably well aware, he was on Sky Sports as a touchline reporter for many years and had a lot of successful interviews with a lot of top, top names. Um, but the reason why we got him on, Sam, was his relationship in particular with the late, great Gary Speeden. You know, a, a man that Newcastle fans absolutely adored for his passion and his performances on the pitch. But Bryn was there to kind of give us a different side to how amazing he was off the pitch as well. Yeah, I mean, you can almost split this into two halves, really, this podcast. The first half is some real football geekery, um, which football geeks like me and yourself, Johnny, really enjoy. Um, and and the business side of, of football, um, broadcasting and whatnot. Um, and the second half, as you say, quite rightly, is is more uh, remembering the late great Gary Speed, who was just what a player, what a man. Um, yeah, so it was um, great to look back on someone like that with someone who who knew him really, really well. He did, and he talks about how he first met Gary Speed, his relationship with his parents. Now, obviously, since his passing, Leeds versus Newcastle in the Championship, and. You know, the fact that he does a lot of work for Leeds United TV as well. And they're doing really well in the Premier League and we're just about surviving. <laughs> yeah. it is fascinating. It's fascinating to say the least. But um, yeah, it was it was brilliant to talk to him about all things Gary Speed because, again, we're never ever going to have the chance, unfortunately, to speak to Gary about his time at Newcastle. But this was nearly the second best thing. So, um, Sam, what is your favourite Gary Speed moment, actually? Hmm... I think, as I t- well, spoiler alert, because I say this in in the main, um, the goal he scored against Dynamo Kiev to make it one one, to keep our Champions League run alive. Um, that was one there, and then obviously Shearer penalty to to make it two one, and then we go on to final, and get the win there for in the Champions League. So that was up there. I just remember bullet headers and and when he struck a ball. It bloody well stage struck as well. He had some power behind him, but um, actually, like like Alan Shearer, I never actually saw Gary Speed play live. Um, but I was there when we got promoted the night we got promoted from the Championship first time around under Chris Hume when we played Sheffield United. Kevin Blackwell was Sheffield United manager. Gary Speed was assistant manager or first team coach. You know. Mm-hmm. And um, we won that game 2-1. And Gary Speed actually got sent off, sent to the stands that night as well. So that was kind of my first Gary Speed experience in the flesh, which is quite bizarre. But, um, yeah, so a couple of good memories there. But, yeah, what a man. Yeah, 100%. A big thanks to our sponsor, Beer52, for all the help on this Green and Muller Show podcast, which you've been listening to. Um, Eight cans of any... IPA stout beer or lager for five ninety five, which is just the price for package and posting. So make sure you get along to www.com www.com www.com. Wow, yeah, no, okay. that's, that's a good that's a good website, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> forward slash nftv. But yeah, this is it's a long one. So get a cup of tea, a biscuit, maybe even make yourself a sandwich because it is <laughs> it is a long one, but it's a really one long commute one. perhaps. <laughs> exactly if you're commuting from anywhere be absolutely brilliant so yeah it is the Green and Wellness show with Bryn Law 
Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Greenwood and Mullen Show here on Newcastle Fans TV alongside myself, Jonathan Greenwood, and my co-host, Sam Mullen. Well, we have Welsh royalty when it comes to uh, journalism <laughs> and media. <laughs> uh, you covered Wales and in particular Leeds United and since 2019. You've seen them promoted and you've seen them in the Premier League doing really, really well. But in particular, its relationship with the late, great Gary Speed is something that we will need to discuss um, in this episode. So a big welcome to Bryn Mull. Bryn, welcome to the Green and the Show. Thank you. Uh, Bryn, you've been very busy. You were just telling us off uh, before we started that. Wrexham, a club very close to your heart. You seem to be very, very busy with them and their new owners. Yeah, it's a new, a new project that was kind of um, thrust in my direction last week. So days ago, effectively, because the new ownership only went through. I mean, everyone, I'm sure, will be aware of the fact that Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney are now the owners of Wrexham Football Club. Yes, it's genuinely a thing. And <laughs> they, um, they've been sitting at home in LA or wherever, I guess it is, that, they, that they've been watching the games from. Because all the games in the National League, like everywhere else, have been streamed this season with no um, access to the fans. So they've been sitting at home watching the games. The coverage um, has been single camera coverage. The stream coverage has been single camera coverage from all the home games. So, um, yeah, you know, it's it's okay, but there's no replays. There's, kind of, there's quite a lot of aspects of the, of the coverage that were missing, if you like. So once they got themselves in position to actually start making a few more calls, one of the calls was, can we, how, can we improve the, how can we improve the match coverage? So as luck would have it, being a Wrexham fan anyway, um, We'd actually created a model, myself and a, a former Sky colleague of mine, for covering games with small mini OBs, basically. So a little OB unit of, well, five people last night, um, which is a four-camera outside bro- uh, broadcast unit, and you've got a director. And then I have a kind of floating production role, so I'd be the sixth member of that one. But my role effectively could be covered, potentially. Um, but... We we rolled we rolled that out over the summer. We did some games in Europe. Bizarre, really. We we ended up covering Connors Key Nomads in Europe, and the very first time we used this model was a Champions League game. So we'd never done this before, and the first time we did it was a Champions League game. Connors Key Nomads playing in the Champions League at Cardiff City Stadium as well because they it was COVID compliant. They could play at their own grounds. So we took this little unit of people down to Cardiff and we broadcast live on their platforms, the YouTube and the Facebook, but it also got broadcast abroad to the to the um, the other team. So that was quite an eye-opener, it was quite an experience and it went okay. So then we got a call from TNS to do their Europa League game. So we did their Europa League. This was days later. So we'd done, uh, we'd done, we had 72 hours to prep for the first game. We did the second game within another four or five days. And then Connors Key came back and said, would you do our next Europa League game, which was also at home. And that was at Wrexham. So we went and did this. And the first two ones we did with three cameras. And then we, Alex, the guy I worked with, had expanded the kit he had so we could now do four camera coverage. So we went from doing having never done one of these ever in the space of 10 days to working up to a four camera OB. Um, so it was quite a, it was quite a journey <laughs> in, a very rapid, in a very short space of time. But luckily, the experience of doing that has come to the fore in the last few days even because when... Wrexham were wanting to improve the coverage, there was a model that at least we, you know, I could offer them and say, listen, we have used this before. Do you want to give it a go? So that was Thursday. What day is it today? I've lost track. Wednesday. <laughs> um, that was Thursday. So within a week, uh, we, we were on air last night. Um, so it was, uh, it was a bit of a, 
it was a bit of a rush and it was um, quite pressurised. The pressure, as we've just been discussing, largely coming from the fact that not only am I a Wrexham fan, so I know loads of people who are watching, uh, including my mum, but also, <laughs> uh, as significantly, the new owners are going to be watching. So, you know, we all have our own ideas about what makes good telly and uh, what, what works visually and all the rest of it. But these guys are at the top of the game in terms of the visual arts. You know, you've got one of the biggest film stars in the world who is going to be sitting down and watching the coverage. Believe me, that does apply a little bit of extra pressure in terms of the, <laughs> what you putting out. So we got through it. Uh, I, I mean, the streaming aspect is really important. We won't talk about it much longer, but um, I, I'm very interested in how that plays out because, like your club at the moment, every club, every fan base at the moment is interacting with their club via the live coverage of the games. In the Premier League level, that's coming at you via Sky Sports and BT Sport. Down below, very often, it's coming via the club media. So I was working with LUTV last season. And by the end of the season in lockdown, we actually had exclusive games that were exclusively live on the LUTV platform. So you couldn't watch it on Sky or wow. anywhere else. It was only available. Now, you can imagine club the size of Leeds United, in the position Leeds United were in last season, pushing hard for promotion, the, uh, the potential take-up on audience figures there is huge worldwide. And that was proved to be the case. You know, there were significant sums of money to be made from people signing up for the coverage that has been in operation. Leeds don't do iFollow, but it's the same model effectively, or didn't do iFollow. You know, so Leeds got a sense of what was possible through doing their own coverage. But lots of other much smaller clubs are also getting the sense because it's their only income stream currently. So Wrexham last night, for instance, were charging £10 per head to watch the game, uh, which is what they've been charging all season. And there were 1,616 people signed up to watch the, the stream coverage. So that is a not inconsiderable sum of money. When all your other revenue streams have dried up, that's, that's significant. And I think clubs are beginning to realise the significance of, of what's available to doing it yourself. You cut down, you, you, the production costs are there, obviously. You know, you pay for my time and whoever else you get involved with it and the expertise and knowledge and all those other aspects of it. But if you start to do more and more in-house and you push it out as your own product, when you guys are sitting there watching Sky Sports and if it's Newcastle Man United and Gary Neville's the co-com or a studio guest, is he interested in Newcastle United? As in, as his, is that his priority in watching the coverage and watching the game? You might argue no. He'll argue you know, that he's kind of straight straight down the line, but you might not feel that's the case. You might want to feel that you want to hear from somebody who's actually focused purely on what Newcastle United do. And I think that's going to... I think there's a sea change. Personally, I think there's a sea change coming. I think you're only going to see more of this. The genie's out the bottle. Fans have started to get used now to watching every game, to have every game available. Yeah. And and now you've created that expectation. How do you now say, well, actually, no, they're not going to. You're not going to be able to see this now. This is for every away game. Well, every Newcastle away game, Tuesday night away game for Newcastle. I know there aren't many in the Premier League, but yeah. Tuesday night there are quite a lot in the Championship. No, anyway, anyway. <laughs> hey, hey, hey! <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Come on, seven points clear <laughs> still at the moment. <laughs> I, was doing, I, was, I was doing all right until then, wasn't I? Uh, you know, there aren't many in the Premier League, but um, but you know, if you've got those long, the longer away trips or the limited ticket access, people are going to be clamouring for tickets when they get back in games again. It's going to be like the nineteen forties and fifties. 
But if you can't get to an away game now, your expectation is you're going to watch it anyway. Now, I know, we all know that over the recent years in the Premier League level, with the sort of streams coming in from other countries, the illegal streams, people have had that access anyway. You know, we all, everybody knows that. Everybody in the game knows that. All you've done at the moment is create the expectation that it's kind of there as a legitimate product effectively now. And even the Saturday three o'clock thing, you know, that's got to be under some degree of threat now because you've said, okay, you can broadcast games live on a Saturday afternoon at three o'clock and then in X number of months' time, you've said, actually, no, we're not doing that anymore. Again, the expectation is there now. So I think it'd be really interesting to see going forward how people how people play this, you know. Um, I think I, I can only see the clubs wanting to do more of this type of thing. And, and the, what we did last night with very few people, so as I say, a team of six technically with some backup from people at Wrexham as well, but it can actually be done quite cheaply. You know, I think people would actually be surprised at the figures. Um, yeah. And if you think, you know, Wrexham raised 16, over £16,000 from the coverage last night, they've definitely made a profit on that. So anywhere football clubs see profit, you know, they're going to start thinking seriously about how they can get in, get into it. Anyway, that was me. Carry on. Yeah. <laughs> well, with, um, with, with Wrexham, though, obviously it's a ridiculously exciting time at the moment. Have, have Ryan and Rob, the new owners, have they put out a mission statement about where they want to take Wrexham over the next few years? Yeah, they have. I mean, I'm quite... Um, I'm No, more than quite. I'm very impressed with the way that they've approached this whole this this question of you know what messaging do you deliver when you're about to uh, make a very surprising move to buy a very small football club um and Wrexham's been stung in recent years the reason we are where we are is because of bad ownership um so um you know across the board um we've had sort of a decade plus or more easily two decades of, of bad ownership effectively <laughs> We had the trust bit in the middle, which I was involved with for a time being, uh, and even by the end of the trust um, control of the club, that thing that that, that had gone awry as well, frankly. Um, so we've tried different models, and it hasn't worked in terms of getting us back uh, to where we want to be. That's one of my better days. Um, <laughs> uh, that's uh, Adrian Sislovich and Andy Morell in the shop of a game at Wrexham. Um, anyway, uh, yeah. So the, the the whole Wrexham, the concept has been. Um, the fact that they've come in and said, they've recognised the fact that there have been major problems in the past. So they haven't set the bar too high. You know, they've said that the, the level of ambition actually seems attainable rather than saying something like Champions League football in five years. Um, so that they, they're, they're prepared to take what appear to be smaller steps. My sense is that actually once they get into the project a little bit more, feel their way into it, because they're putting football people on the ground at the club and that process is going to take a while. But once they feel their way into the project, I suspect, I've seen this happen many times in football before, you kind of get drawn in. You know, you get more and more, you just get a little bit crazy with the whole yeah. thing. Um, and then and then they start, maybe maybe the messaging changes at that point. But it's been very good. And, and one thing that's been incredibly encouraging is that they see this as something that involves the town and not just the football club. They recognise the importance of the football club to the town. And it is, it's crucial, you know, Wrexham is not on the map for anything other than football these days. We've played you guys in the league, in my living memory. And won as well, by the way. Um, oh. <laughs> almost yeah, always, oh, that's that's track two now, come on. Always, always beating the FA Cup as well. Um, so, so there's always, so 
you know, we've had much better times at Wrexham. We've played clubs like Newcastle and Chelsea and Manchester City uh, as equals, league equals. So there is, there has been something better there. So they know they're aware of that, but to get back to that position is going to take a massive amount of work. And they, and everything they've said so far has recognised the, the size of the job that lies ahead, but also that they want to make it something that's about, you know, Wrexham's had its fair share of problems over the years. Uh, it's something about kind of lifting the entire area as well as, and the football club can most definitely help this. Like Again, it's like Newcastle. You know, the, the football club genuinely sits right at the heart of the community in Wrexham. Um, you know, the, it's in the DNA. Wrexham, and I cite Newcastle as an example, Wrexham is every bit as much a footballing place as Newcastle is, if not arguably even more so. Because everybody I grew up with played the game, watched the game, talked about the game, and they're all still doing it, by the way. It's just in the DNA. The game in, in, in the world genuinely kind of rep- Wrexham stroke the, the village I grew up in just outside of Wrexham called Robin, have key part, a key role to play in that. The Welsh FA was formed in my village and in Wrexham. Uh, some of the very earliest games were played on the park across the road from the house that I grew up in. Um, so Wrexham was formed in it. First game Wrexham played was 1864. You know, there's still the American Civil War going on at that point. So the, the club is absolutely centred in terms of the history of the game. And the stadium is still the same, same ground. They're still playing the same ground now that they played on then. Um, so there's quite a big history attached to the whole thing. And that puts football at the, you know, right in the DNA of the town anyway. So it's, a, it's football mad, Rex. It genuinely is. So they've got to tap into that now and take it on. Just a, a question that you, you mentioned before about... Um... Obviously, these companies like Sky Sports and BT Sport, we've, we've been very fortunate this year, obviously with very very difficult circumstances, that every game has been live. Now, every three years, this new TV deal in the UK, um, it's mentioned that obviously there could be a new competitor coming in and trying to take on the likes of Sky, for example. Um, the fact that maybe there could be something on the table in terms of every game being live... From your experience working at Sky, have they always been worried about this potentially happening? It was never it was never a conversation anyone would broach with me at <laughs> my lowly <laughs> level, <laughs> to be honest with you. But we, we, we would talk about it amongst ourselves as, as sort of members of staff. Because, yeah, um, you could see, and we've been talking about the emergence of the, of the online platforms for, for a long time. And, you know, Amazon are now one of the most powerful entities in the world. You know, if they want, if they decided they wanted an army, there would be, you know, <laughs> there would be the most powerful army in the world, for instance, because they get everything delivered so quickly as well, wouldn't they? You know, want a rocket? Oh, we can get it to you tomorrow morning. <laughs> anyway, but uh, I digress. But so you've got these, these, there's an awful lot of money in those sorts of areas currently, whereas um, all the, all the traditional broadcasters and Sky and BT find themselves casting their own traditional broadcasters now. They're all having to fight that bit harder for, for what they're getting because they're, they're facing this extra competition. So they're still, I think they're still working out how it works best for them in terms of how they present the product. Into you know, you're at, You've seen Amazon have a go at in the market uh, pretty successfully, all in all. Um, but that was like a nice little toe in the water for them. So they weren't committed to anything majorly. It was just as I think that was a real feeler to see, OK, let's 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 find out how this works for us here so you've got the prospect if the tv deal and the pr- the prediction is i think the negotiations are starting again soon for the next one aren't they 
the prediction is that the figure will fall again, particularly pandemic affected and all the rest of it, because they don't feel that there's, I've read something recently, they said they feel the content has been um, devalued to an extent by the fact there's actually so much of it now, because every game's on now, you remove the, the sort of the uh, additional feel of something exciting around, around those games that you're showing as your games. So, um, the market has become a little bit saturated in terms of football coverage. And because it's a hard watch, unless you're genuinely interested in, in the one of the teams involved, it, even then it's quite difficult, but it's a hard watch if you're neutral quite often because there's no atmosphere around the thing, is there? It's just 22 blokes running around on some grass. Try watching Newcastle games this season. <laughs> They're a hard <laughs> watch. <laughs> well, I've, I've seen two. <laughs> I enjoyed them. <laughs> <laughs> We'll talk about uh, that later. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, so you've got you've got the sense at the moment. I think that they're still waiting the wings, probably because it's a big jump to go from uh, Sky in particular have created a sort of um, they've put a box around the game effectively, you know, so that things um, people refer to things as oh yeah, because Sky will want to do that, even if it's not even Sky covering the game. People kind of it's become almost a generic term. The TV people want to do something about that. So uh, it's going to be still quite hard to smash that box down. And the football clubs now more than ever are going to need a sense of security that this deal is going to produce what they need this deal to produce. So it could be ultimately at the next round, because of the situation generally, that the clubs collectively still go for the safest option, which would still be the sort of Sky Sports BT thing, because they're used to it. They're used to the way that it's, it's set up. But I'll, I mean, when you've heard the talk of the European Super League, I'll I'll be amazed if one aspect of that isn't, and the, the uh, even the Premier League breakaway clubs, it's definitely been talked about in terms of what they want to do in future. This uh, this this coverage of their own stuff is is a factor in all of that because they're seeing, you know, if Manchester United are charging um, for their own coverage of a game, and they might have. 2 million people tuning in around the world to watch their MUTV coverage and they're paying a 10 10 pound a head you know that that's that, that that's one game in one season they're going to start looking and start c comparing and contrast what sort of figures can we make ourselves set against what are we getting from the from the broadcasters in terms of the deal so for some it's a good deal for others further down the line it might not look such a good deal so this is i think it's one of the, i suspect it's going to be one of the kind of um, the, the plate movements between the, the, the two concepts of how you're going to cover the game going forward. Yeah, Johnny's obsessed with TV rights deals. Oh, yeah. It's uh, a uh, dissertation on this. <laughs> oh, really? Well, <laughs> yeah. I, I found myself, since I came out of Sky, I found myself getting more and more interested in this. So I was anyway, because I do, um, I do uh, coach education work with the Welsh FA, so I do their media modules at the A and the pro licence level, the UEFA coaching badges. And I've done that for a long time. So you do find yourself keeping an eye on the way that the industry operates and not even when I was just doing my job, I was always trying to keep aware of it because actually it's quite important to the people working in the game, I think, to make an assessment of where it's heading. So at the moment, one of the big topics of conversation in those media modules is actually club media um, because club media has become arguably the biggest um, time factor in terms of what managers, coaches uh, have to devote in terms of their media responsibilities because the clubs are asking more and more and more of them. So it, it's a conversation we weren't having 
10 years ago, the responsibility that you've got towards the club's own output, but it certainly is now. And that's one of those kind of industry developments that they need to be aware of um, because it's going to impact on their jobs further down the line. So I do find myself keeping quite a, a close eye on how these things are, are, are moving at the moment. And generally, I think the rule of thumb is look to America and see what's happening there um, and then expect it's going to arrive at a, a doorstep near you soon. I mean, we are probably still miles behind in this country, I think, in, a, in the amount and the breadth and the, and the availability of the coverage. And that's the bit. Once you open that um, box up and you start putting stuff all over the place, so you've got live matches being shown on Twitter and stuff, as they've done in the States, then um, then it's going to become really interesting because you, you splinter and fragment and some of the deals then become worth less and others become worth more in terms of the other stuff that's going on around them. So it's interesting times. The good, the good news is it's not going away. And that's good news for the clubs because people still are watching it. And so they're still prepared. You can still attach a value to coverage of football. And as long as that remains the case, football's okay. Remove that and uh, football's in big trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, it's fascinating, Sam. You should really get into this because it's honestly ill. It'll be really, really interesting. Well, to it, if you want to see the impact, look at France now. In, in yeah. Ligue 1 in France, their TV deal, they've signed this mega TV deal in France at the start of the season, collapsed um, within two or three months. And the company media set, I think they, expect, they set up a special company to take on the coverage. Uh, have just pulled out completely. They can't sell the rights to anyone currently. Nobody wants the rights at the price to which they're being offered. And they're basically showing the games in France almost on it. Well, there's been a deal signed until the end of the season with Canal Plus, but I, uh, they already had a subsidiary rights deal, so they've just attached a little bit extra on top of that. But they they were ready to go to court because they said the value of their subsidiary of secondary rights deal had been um, reduced because the main right, the primary rights holders, have pulled out. So they said, why have we had to pay this when they can't pay what they were what they, we should be paying less as well? So French football's in all sorts of a mess at the moment. So expect more moves from Newcastle United into the French market um, upcoming because you'd look at it and looking at it cynically, you said, I would expect this bargains to be had because they are top flight, League One and League Two, are both, are both struggling financially. They've got enough on their plates currently anyway. And this money they anticipate, remember the impact in this country of ITV Digital on the, on the football league clubs, Satanta deal when that collapsed on, on the uh, Premier League clubs, you know, that we've seen it, we've had experience of it in this country, but it's happening in the top division in France because the, the value attached to the product hasn't proved to be the correct value. They couldn't make it work at the, at the amount that they pay for it. And they've discovered that within months of signing the deal. Yeah, yeah I, I remember the ITV Digital, that set the Football League back years, didn't it? But I, I always said to you, Johnny, I mean, DAZN, I think, like like Bryn said, they'd look at America. DAZN in America with uh, boxing, and they've got other territories where they've got rights now for the Premier League. When you're undercutting your competitors by however many pounds a month or whatever, then you're going to be a force to be reckoned with. And it's still early days, isn't it, with Amazon? Because the frustration with me for Amazon is, you kind of like, depending on your device, you're 30 seconds behind. So you, if you, your phone pings and there's a goal alert on Twitter, like, well, I haven't bloody seen it yet. It's still on the halfway line. So it's well, still early. Yeah, the, you're absolutely right. And this is quite a crucial aspect. I mean, I, I'm feeling this this morning because 
you know, for all the um, positive comments we had about the coverage on the Wrexham game last night, there were there were there were some technical issues with the, with the coverage as well. But there's an absolute inevitability, frankly, about that because streaming is in its infancy as a as a, as a technology at the moment. We're just learning about it, and what we're learning is that it's actually it's good, but it's not great. It's too. The biggest concern we had last night was keeping the show on actually on air, as it were, to use an old-fashioned phrase. You know, it, it only needs a power outage or a problem at the end. There's a platform provider. There's a problem at there, and if too many Wrexham fans dive on at seven o'clock, right on kickoff, trying to get on it, um, then the the whole system can either collapse or at least or slow down. So there, there are a number of imponderables surrounding streaming coverage currently at the point at which something like 5G maybe makes them um, less relevant so that I can sit back and relax. I'm sitting through that game last night thinking, can't you keep the, keep the stream up, keep the stream up. Literally, that's really what the overriding fear is, is the losing, the, losing the coverage. So if we can remove that element of doubt from the process, then that process will become much, much more popular. Whilst it exists there, and whilst because you've got issues like the lag in terms of, and that's those are things at the moment that you cannot do anything about currently. I mean, um, you, you're pinging the football around, it isn't going directly from one place to another when you're streaming it, it's going from one place to another to another, and in some cases to another before it gets to you. And then you've got the issues like if you've got the two kids are upstairs watching Netflix and somebody else is sending emails and you're watching the match at the same time then there can be an impact because of your own broadband system in the house that, that means you can't watch the match as you'd like to watch the match. So you want to remove all of those um, elements from it and then you can produce it as the, as the perfect product effectively because it has huge advantages potentially going forward. You don't need a massive satellite truck parked in the car park for a start. Um, but there is stuff to work out still. And that may be one of the other, that would be a major factor potentially for something like the Premier League to say, well, whilst these doubts remain, we'll give you a nibble at it like the Amazon deal. But if we put everything on this one and it doesn't work to the, to the satisfaction of our customers who are paying a lot of money for the product, then it's too great a risk at the moment to take. So that, that would, could easily be a factor still currently. Bryn, you've been a reporter uh, an interviewer in particular at Sky and obviously a commentator for LUTV in particular when you're working at Sky um, what did you enjoy more? Did you enjoy more the, the pitch side reporting in terms of your say soccer Saturday or always used to see Fishermania 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 <laughs> <laughs> oh I love a bit of fishing me <laughs> we used to always see, see you in Yorkshire and like Leeds, yeah. Sheffield United, Sheffield Wednesday, but I always remember Newcastle versus Norwich as well. Uh, that four-three result. Do you prefer that, or do you prefer maybe interviewing the managers or the players that have done the most damage in the game? No, I mean there's no. That's an easy one. There is no comparison. I just the only reason I ever got into this job was because I wanted to watch football matches. <laughs> Somebody, well, first for free. That was a good start. And then secondly, to actually have somebody to pay me to watch football matches. And I'll be honest with you, the bits in between, I could happily drop completely because um, they're kind of, I don't know, what are they, window dressing or something? The only thing I've ever wanted to do is go and watch football matches. So Soccer Saturday was almost my perfect role. I enjoyed, when I was a little lad and I was born in Liverpool and um, 
I used to listen to the Liverpool had all these massive European games at the time. And I used to listen to the commentaries of those under the bed covers on a sort of crackly Radio 2, as it would have been in those days. Peter Jones and Alan Parry doing the commentary. And they'd bring you the... They would they would paint the picture from whichever country it was that Liverpool were playing in that evening. And uh, Clive Tilsey was a Radio City commentator in Liverpool in those days. So I'd listen to that stuff and I'd really... I thought, oh, this is brilliant. This is... I just love this. And I, I, although I loved playing football, I made a very swift assessment around about the age of eight that I was not going to be good enough to actually play it properly. So I decided, well, okay, I'll, I'm, I'll go down. I'm going to try and see if I can be a, I'd like to be like one of those commentators. So that was the plan from really, really early on. So that's all I wanted to do. And, and that's all I still want to do, frankly. <laughs> I've ended up having to fill in the time in between games with other things, but genuinely that's all I want to do. So the package, the Soccer Saturday package was almost the perfect package for me because it had elements of all the things I enjoy doing. The live bit, I love the live bit because anything can happen or go wrong. Um, it's a bit of commentary because it's like little snippets of 10, 15 second snippets of commentary. Which So you have to be really succinct and you have to be able to process it and then kind of regurgitate it sort of instantly in a, in a manageable little package. Uh, and it's also got that sort of um, that sense of an audience as well about Soccer Saturday because... Um, you could do quite a lot of things on uh, non-terrestrial TV that very, very few people actually watch. Yeah, because the audience figures are, 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 it's, a, it's a niche show, it's a sort of fraction of yeah. a fraction. But if you do Soccer Saturday, it has the feel of a big show because it's got all eyes on it or it had all eyes on it. I don't know how it's doing now, but it was that sense you do that show and people would watch it and, and there would be recognition off the back of watching it. That brings a really good pressure with it, if you like pressure. Of, of having to get it right because there's a lot of eyes on. And if you get it wrong, your phone starts pinging straight away um, with things that have happened. So, uh, you know, in the social media, suddenly you can find yourself at the centre of a storm, as it were. So it's all, if you like pressure, it's all that's all the sort of thing that you kind of thrive off. So I enjoyed that. I'm working with somebody like Jeff Stelling, genius guy. Um, so being part of that team was, was something that I very much enjoyed. But I... Um, the other role that I had a lot at Sky was the touchline reporter role. I always enjoyed that because football is like work. Football's my workplace. Football grounds are my workplace. So you walk into them and you kind of always know. So I know loads of staff at Newcastle. I've done plenty of games at Newcastle down the year. So I walk in there and there'll be, you know, the guy in the car park or the, the people in the media room or whatever it might be. You just have little kind of easygoing relationships with lots of people around the place. And you'll see other journalists, you know, and then you'll see football people, coaches or players that you know. And it's just nice. It's nice, you know, it's the kind of atmosphere in which I feel comfortable. Um, so uh, I, I always enjoyed the game. The games, I really enjoyed. The rest of the stuff, not, not as much generally. Fair enough, fair enough. Sam, I, I mentioned Newcastle 4, Norwich 3. Because I oh. always for people that because obviously it wasn't live at the time and um, oh. everyone was looking for Bryn's report and when obviously Newcastle scored those two goals right at the very end um, I was fortunate to be there that night but when I got back the the amount of retweets and likes and all around the social media because of like how excited Bryn was about reporting that match was insane. Do you know what Look. I went I went to bed at three two. I turned because no. <laughs> uh, 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 I, I newborn at the time. I was like, "Oh, f this! We've 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 stuffed this up." I'm going to bed. Woke up the next morning, 
and that was the turning point of the championship season, really, because we were one and two at the time, and and that if we'd have gone, it could have been a real slippery slope. That league's so difficult to get out of the right way. But um, what was what? Well, you two can tell me what the atmosphere was like in them last night because <laughs> it looked crazy when I watched it back the next morning. Go on, Bryn. I'll let you. I'll let you digest well, over this. Can I be absolutely honest with you? <laughs> I don't remember this game. Do you know? <laughs> no, I don't. No way. You see, the, I, I guess I have a brain addled by by thirty years now of, of rocking up to watch matches. So, um, you you'll have that game that you remember because of uh, and I have games that I remember because of but so I'm, th- I'm casting my mind back over Newcastle matches I watched in that kind of period and the one that stands out for me was the game when you had the penalty that um, was taken and, oh, then, of course. Uh, and then he gave a free kick on the edge of the penalty <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah. so I mean you ended up winning the game which was lucky otherwise there would have been a massive ding dong over that so I because I, that one was a really really weird event because I'm watching the game and it's brilliant what position you watch from at Newcastle as well Um, fantastic sort of viewing position so I'm watching the game and I see that happen and I think to myself right okay well he's he's not allowing the penalty so it's a penalty retake and then he awards a free kick on the edge of the penalty area and then and then you start questioning yourself and thinking right well okay I'm going back through what rule is he applying here that says that (laughs) The decision not to award to restart is a free kick on the edge of the penalty area, and I'm racking my brains. It was just before our time. I was racking my brains to come up with a solution, and obviously you've got to because somebody's going to be coming and asking you what's happening, and so you've got to try and work it out. We got to half time. They had a big discussion about it in the studio at half time, and then obviously they wanted to come back to me after to find out. So I've got to go away at half time and try and ascertain what it is that's gone on there. Which you couldn't do because who do you go and ask? You know, a, a, a media team weren't, weren't either couldn't say or weren't on top of it by that point. So you have to make a, a call on your own off your own back. And I made the call that I think he's just genuinely, literally got it wrong. And then when we went to see Rafa Benitez after the game, Rafa was kind of seething, but um, kind of he said, "I can't. I'm not going to talk about it on, in the interview, but in conversation." I always got on well with Rafa in conversation said basically confirmed he's just got it wrong he's literally just got it wrong which is quite a i can't almost think of any so this is what i'm trying to get at is so there's four three games where you score two goals late on and it's fantastic and you love it because if we were three two down and you've gone to bed and you know, all the rest <laughs> of it but i remember sometimes the ones where you think jesus that was unusual i've never i've never yeah. seen that yeah. before because I've seen have seen teams win games late on or whatever it might be, and you know that's part of the general scenario. So the ones you tend to remember, the ones where you think oh, that was bizarre, wasn't it? And so to have somebody say to me um, that in a professional sport, at nearly at the highest level, to say, "Oh no, he just got it wrong," and you think, <laughs> "How did that? How the hell does that happen?" So that's the one that stands out for me. I, I, there you go, big confession. Yeah, I could lie and say I was so excited when you got that. I'd rather be honest. Listen, it's if if I was there a substitute. I'm I'm getting a substitute involved. Was Dwight Gale involved? Dwight Gale wasn't involved. Scored a hat trick. That's it. That's it. It's it's coming back to me. me (laughs) Your father only had one leg. Is that right? 
Janice mean anything to you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. I'm glad you enjoyed it anyway. That's the main thing. I mean, that is genuinely, that is the main thing because uh, it's entertainment. Jesus. You know, I think a lot of people have forgotten this about football. Football is entertainment. It's an entertainment industry and we get incredibly worked up about it and we take it way too seriously. And that's actually one of the joys of Soccer Saturday for me. Two things, two aspects of that that I really enjoyed. One is the fun side of it, that, that you were allowed to inject humour into it. It didn't have to be po-faced and, and earnest. Um, you could have a bit of a laugh, not, you know, sometimes too much of a laugh. You had to um, still be professional, but you could have a bit of a laugh with it. And Jeff would instigate that very often. And I think that was very important. Um, but the other aspect of that that I really liked was if I was sent to an interview, as I very often was for Soccer Saturday, for the show, for the build-up. So I'd be sent quite often up to Newcastle to do interviews um, with players or the manager up there. The brief would always be talk about the game. And um, so you would, uh, the, inf the instruction would be, you can reflect on whatever the latest takeover crisis was that you were going through. <laughs> um, and Lord knows there were many, or there have been, or there still are many. Um, so you would talk a little bit about that maybe in terms of, but really in terms of his impact on the game. Now, there's a fundamental difference between that approach and the Sky Sports News approach. The Sky Sports News approach is let's stand outside the stadium and talk takeovers all day long. And even if Newcastle have got a game that evening, we're still talking about the takeover. The Sky Sports approach is different because they, they want the thing that focuses on the product for, for them is football. So there'll be a reflection of the other stuff. But on a show like Soccer Saturday, it's all about the game. It's all about the three o'clock till five o'clock. And that's what I really enjoyed about it, because to take you back to that um, question you asked earlier about which bit of it do I enjoy, the bit I enjoy is the football bit. Unfortunately, in the role I've had, we'll probably talk about it a bit more later, I've had to talk about, about a lot of things that I would never have anticipated as a nine-year-old having to talk about when you describe yourself as a football reporter. And so I've ended up as kind of crime correspondent, financial correspondent, whatever it might be. But too little of, of the time in many ways has been actually spent talking about football. And that's frankly all I really want to talk about, you know, it's just the game. That's it. it, it, it we've created um, uh, this idea. And when I say we, I mean, me and we in the media have created this idea that football is this massive industry and and that it is incredibly important day to day. We need sort of we need to know exactly what's going on. Da 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 da. People didn't used to need to know that much stuff. Now we've created this sort of um, this need, this this almost artificial need, frankly, for lots more information, constant information. And what's forgotten about is you now have experts in football finance and things like that. Is, I mean, great, well done them. But it's a bit mad because <laughs> literally, it's all about the game. It's literally all about the game. Um, and we've we have moved we've moved quite a long way away from that in my in my viewpoint. No, I tell you what, especially around that time as well when we had Rafa, I couldn't agree more. Just getting back to the football because, like when there was a transfer window, if it was January or in the summer, it was oh Rafa wants him but he's not allowed him, and oh there's been butting heads with Mike Ashley again. We can't have this player. There's funds and takeovers. But when you're just in the season and the transfer window is closed, you just get on with trying to beat the team in the next game. It's it's, it's just so much more simpler and purer and fun, I suppose. 
Well, it's created, it's actually been a bit problematic for football because it's created um, a sort of discussion around the game that, that rarely doesn't focus, rarely focuses on the game. So, and it, you know, it, 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 it sort of tentacles extend quite a long way now. I mean, social media has now taken up on that and sort of very much, you know, taking it to, to areas you'd, you'd never wanted it to have headed for previously. So, it's, there's a toxicity around a lot of the discussion that, go, that, that accompanies football now that in every aspect um, is just uh, is not helpful. It's not helpful. It's not nice, a lot of it. But it's been created by this sense of everybody having a say in the discussion and the debate um, and everybody's viewpoint being valid. Um, so I think the media, the, what might be described as the mainstream media rather than the social media, we kind of set the ball rolling on this one a bit. Um, and transfer deadline day is a classic example because you would actually, if you remember when, when it was safe to do so, they would, well, this is a key point in itself. They would have crowds of people around the guy standing outside the stadium. People mm. literally, you know, people would travel huge distances to be in the background on transfer deadline day. And you would meet people who come from far far and wide to stand in the background on, and transfer day. And Newcastle was a classic example of this where people would gravitate you know from first thing in the morning they'd be there to last thing at night now that that's a bit weird isn't it that's yeah just, that's yeah that's a bit, there's, there's, there's an element that you're, you're kind of feeding into something a bit strange there um and those people saw this as a kind of platform and as you saw as it developed when things start to go really quite badly awry and export uh, reporters were left exposed by the fact that they were you know i've been in those situations where you the crowd starts to gather behind you and you're always facing away from them so you have no idea what's going on behind your back and there's just you and a cameraman there um and the cameraman's looking down the eye of the lens so he's not he's got no um 360 awareness at all either but quite a, not not the best comfortable most comfortable place to be and that manifested itself in some of the incidents you saw on screen live on on air actually they got away with it to an extent because it could have been it could have been there was potential for it to be worse so what happened is they had to stop doing it they had to take first of all they put security on it but that didn't work and then they had to take it somewhere to a safe space to do it all so that in just one that's just one example of how that whole this sense of this discussion around football and transfer deadline days this big thing and da 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 that's how it it's, it's all kind of really built up to be something far bigger than it frankly than it deserves to be so the last transfer window i thought was quite amusing because almost literally nothing happened because nobody's yeah. got any money to spend currently or you can't get the player into the country or whatever it might be so almost nothing happened so that that whole yellow tie. I mean, it's not just Sky now. Everybody else has done is doing their own thing. Everybody's doing their own thing. Everybody wants to be ITK, and here's one, and da da da. The, the lowest point I found myself a little anecdote here. The lowest point I found myself doing transfer deadline day, and I was never a comfortable bedfellow with transfer deadline day for all the reasons described earlier. Um, but the lowest point I think I hit with that was I was standing outside Hull City's training ground, and when they're in the Premier League, because they're only interested in the Premier League in the, on deadline day. And um, there was just me and the cameraman there. They hadn't even bothered to send a satellite band to it, which kind of gives you a sense of where you exist in the pecking order on, on that particular day. So there, there was just me and the cameraman standing there. And there was a lad who stood outside there alongside us, outside the gates of the whole city training ground. 
which is a really little resident tucked away in a little residential area just outside the hull. And there's a lad standing there all day long. He never interacted with us at all. But at one point, that nothing was happening. But the thing with transfer deadline day is you're not allowed to say nothing is happening. And I got told off early on in the process for saying, oh, well, nothing's happening here. Back to you. So that, that's a, quite a pressure, um, as you can maybe imagine. So you're constantly on the lookout for something that's happening. So the cameraman said to me, that lad over there, who's probably about 14, has just said on his phone to somebody that that is, now then, what was his name? Finn Bo Johnson or something, something like that. Bod, Bod Varson, I think he was called. Finn Bod Varson, that's his agent who's just gone past in the car coming out the training ground there. So, okay, right. So I've Googled it. And yes, this there is a player called that. And yes, he has been linked with English clubs, not with uh, Hull City. But I'm thinking, right, okay, we'll do this. So we had the capacity to record a report and then it would get sort of filed, FTP they call it, um, transferred to London via the uh, broadband, uh, Wi-Fi or whatever. I don't know. I don't understand this stuff. Anyway, <laughs> so I record a little thing saying that and Hull City have been linked with a potential move. They're looking for a new strike and they've been linked with a potential move for Finn Bogars and Bod and whatever I said. And I sent it down the line and, and it went to London. There's my contribution for this hour. And then I thought to myself, what have you just done? You are taking. There's a there's a lad over there who's probably I don't know he's probably a genius on you know, one of the computer games, Football Manager or yeah. whatever it might be, FIFA, and he's had a conversation with his mate who's probably at school where he should be or whatever about this thing, and you've now taken that and you've kind of fed it into the into the transfer deadline day mix, knowing full well that it might well go to air, and you know, and everyone will go oh. Blah, blah. And then, but there's absolutely no, you have no basis of sort of <laughs> actual fact in that at all. You just, I was just trying to, you know, feed something in there. And I thought to myself at that point, I, I can't do that. This is daft. I can't, I'm not doing that again. So I, it's better that I just say literally nothing happening here, but I don't say it on air because um, we didn't have the capacity anyway that day. And we just sit there and wait. And that's, that's what we ended up doing. As it turned out at the end of the day, um, the Irish striker turned up at 11, helpfully, at about 11.30. We saw him drive in. Um, just signed for Bournemouth, can't remember his name. Um, and um, we saw him go in, and then we saw him wandering around in the training ground. And now, suddenly, this was actually a genuine transfer deadline day story. So we were filmed, we could see him from outside. We were filming him. He was silhouetted in the, in the room in the training ground. Um, and then they... Then it all fell through. So we waited till midnight and then they said, no, the deal's off. <laughs> so he got in the back. He was bundled into the back of the car and he whizzed straight out. And then the club guy said, you're not going to show any of that stuff, are you? Because, I mean, he didn't sign after all, did he? So it's like, no, OK. <laughs> right, we're off then. <laughs> so, <laughs> that was my day. That was yeah. my day. Um, I think that maybe was the last transfer that I worked on. <laughs> <laughs> a memorable one, anyway. Um, yeah, that, that's, I think that makes, that makes me laugh. That, that's brilliant, though. Um, yeah, we have to talk about, obviously, this is Newcastle fans TV, Brent, and obviously everyone who has watched you uh, for Sky Sports knows how much of a passionate Welsh fan you are, even though that was your job to be a reporter. Um, Wales doing well is something that you were very, very keen on hopefully happening, and a man that was significant to that was the late, great Gary Speed. Now, you know, that I think everybody's seen the, um, you 
talking to Gary Speed and like post-match interviews and it always looks like you're having a laugh with him, to be honest with you. Um, before we talk about the footballer Gary Speed, what was he like to work with and how far did he take Wales in terms of being a player and a manager to their first uh, competition, of say the Euro 2020, uh, no, Euro 2016 rather? Well, he was, he was great to work with um, and I learned that um, very, very early on because I'd arrived in Leeds to work for the BBC in Leeds in 1992 and they were a massive part of the remit there. I was actually a news, predominantly a news reporter at the time, but with a remit to do some sport football um, when the opportunity arose. So Gary was at the club as, as uh, they just won the championship, the last league championship, Leeds United. So Gary was at the club, you know, as, a, as an established star player by now. But he was from North Wales and I'm from, I grew up after I'd moved from Liverpool, I grew up in North Wales and I was already a, a sort of Wales fan. I was, I was already travelling to away games to watch Wales at that point. So the fact that Gary was playing for the Leeds team, the fan in me was was excited by that aspect. So I naturally gravitated towards him. The first opportunity I got to sort of make my introductions, and that can be a um, an interesting experience with professional footballers. You know, quite a lot of them are oh, okay, yeah, nice one, mate. All right, see ya. Uh, and then others will engage you in conversation. And Gary was in the latter category there, and he was genuinely seemed quite interested. And we struck up a, a rapport at that point, which carried on, you know, from for forever. Um, so. That was a great initial um, introduction to him, and what you know, what was significant after that for me as a reporter was that he was one of those players. Key to a reporter in the old days, in particular, used to be contact sport, so you could go quickly to people directly. Um, and so, getting a player's home number was like the sort of um, you know that that was the that was the more home numbers you had in your little black book, you know, the the better the reporter you were. So uh, Gary gave me this was the advent. Get this, kids. This was the advent of things called mobile phones. Oh my goodness! <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know. We didn't didn't always have them, um, and so we were just getting into that concept of people having their own thing that they carry around with them. Quite a large thing that they carry around with them that they could answer phone calls on. And and Gary gave me his large thing. You could answer phone calls uh, on it number fairly quickly. So. He'd given that. That was a big deal. That in those days, that was a really big deal because you had no other line of contact directly to everything. Had to go through somebody otherwise. So um, the fact that he'd been generous in giving me that was also a, to a journalist. It's quite significant because it's kind of a um, a decision of trust. You know that the person has made an assessment and they feel that they trust you to keep their number. So it was quite a big thing. So we had a good and uh, we had a good start to our relationship. And what was also really good about Gary was that when you do cover teams um, regularly, the same team regularly, uh, you get to know, first of all, you get to know who the good talkers are, and then you get to know who the best people are to go and ask for an interview when the team's lost, which is um, quite um, major, of major significance when you're doing lots of match coverage. So you have a list in your head of I'm not asking him because he's not very nice. I'm not asking him because he's not very nice. I'll ask him. He's always he's always up for it. He's always up for it. So that I could tell you still now, reel off the names in that Leeds United team that I first dealt with of those who I would approach in the circumstances of Leeds United having lost, or if I was dispatched to sort of basically doorstep somebody to catch somebody on the hoof, 
And Gary was absolutely top of that particular list. Because if you said to him, Gary, any chance, he'd say, yeah, okay, mate, yeah, yeah. And that's all you want. That's all you want. Somebody to say, yeah, okay, I'll do it. Um, and there were some much trickier characters in that particularly United squad. So he was one of my go-to players in, in, um, in those circumstances. And uh, the only time he ever turned me down for an interview was in um, Zurich after a Wales game. And I'd flown out there as a fan, but I'd managed to get Sky to pay for my flights by saying, I'll do post-match for you. Those were the, those were the days. This was pre-the Sky contract. And um, and they agreed. I was on EasyJet, so it only cost them about 20 quid. So it was, it was no massive gesture. On the, and I slept on the floor of the airport as well. So it was no massive gesture on their part. But anyway, it got me my flights out of Zurich. So I went out to watch the game. And then at the end of the match, I had to go and hook up with a, a Swiss TV crew. And my remit was to get some Welsh post-match because Sky had not bothered to send anybody out to cover it. So Gary was the obvious one. So I stood by the, the door of the team coach. And this was in the period when Bobby Gould was in charge of the Welsh team, real low point. And the team was regularly getting beaten by everybody. And they just lost to Switzerland in this qualifier. So I waited by the door of the coach. And Gary appeared. I thought, okay, well, I'm quids in here. I'll get my job done nice and quick and I can get off and lie down in that airport. And um, <laughs> so, so he appeared at the door of the coach. And I said, Gary, can you do us a quick turn? And he said, no, mate. No, sorry, mate. No, sorry. And just went on and got on the coach. And it was that's the only time. And I remember it because it was the only time. And he uh, he got in touch with me the next day to apologise. And, and there again, there's a mark of the man because it obviously... He knew what he'd done and he didn't feel up to doing it because he was so distraught with it. another Wales defeat and the way things were going. They didn't let the guy in charge, etc., etc. That he'd said no, but then he'd felt bad about saying no. So he got in touch with me to make it clear that he was bad about saying no. So that was, you know, as a working relationship, it was really good. It developed nicely then because um, as he went through his playing career, we lost touch a little bit when he went to other clubs. I'd see him sort of briefly at clubs and say hello, Newcastle, Bolton, or wherever it might be. Um, we weren't as in um, close contact in that period. Um, but then when he, first of all, he arrived, uh, first of all, when he retired from the international scene, I was doing the Wales games by now, so I've seen more of him with the Wales squads. Um, so we were having regular kind of chat around those games. And I, I, I linked up, I, knew, I know Gary's dad, Roger, well. So I was seeing Roger again because Roger used to follow him around Europe watching the Wales game. So I'd bump into him in bars or airport lounges or whatever it might be. Generally bars, to be fair. But uh, <laughs> And then we'd go and I was covering the game. So I'd see Gary at the squad gatherings, have a chat. And that was nice. And then um, when he retired, uh, he then became the Sky. Um, we had the contract by now. He then became the studio guest, the, the, you know, the pundit, if you like, the Wales pundit. So he would come down to do the games in Cardiff when we were doing them down there and we would do the game and then we'd go and have a drink afterwards. So it was, we had a lot of sort of good nights out in Cardiff, basically, or somewhere in South Wales. Just it, just a good laugh. And Gary was really good socially. Um, he was, uh, he had a really good ability to remember who people were, remember names, but also to include people in the group so that they didn't feel it was they were talking to Gary Speed, superstar. They were just talking to this bloke Gary Speed, and that was you know that's quite a it's quite a talent that when you've been at the top of a game a high profile game like football for as long as he had by then, um, and uh, so that was we used to we had a lot of nice you know nice nights out together frankly then in a group of others as well, and then it developed again because 
Uh, he arrived at Sheffield United. Now, you mentioned my fact that I was used to appear at certain clubs, but I've been, lived in Leeds for uh, nearly 30 years now. So this has been Radio Leeds first, and then Sky appointed me as their Yorkshire correspondent, for want of a better phrase. So this has been my patch for a long time. Um, so I've worked with all the clubs through that period. And Gary arrived at Sheffield United and um, for initially as a player and then um, became a coach. Uh, I was also doing coach ed work with the FAW by now and Gary was on the co- one of the very earliest courses I did. So there were different, we were, you know, moving into different areas. Our, our uh, relationship was moving in different directions and, and different aspects of it were coming to the fore. And then whilst he was at Sheffield United, he got the manager's job. So this was his next step on the ladder now. Uh, and fairly shortly after he'd taken on that job, he then became the Wales manager, a part in the process of which I played a little part because I ended up being a kind of go between between him and the Welsh FA who weren't aware that he was um, potentially available to them because he was under contract at Sheffield United. They didn't want to make any approach that, that breached that. So they kind of discounted him as a potential candidate, but he made it clear via me that he was interested in it if they made the approach so it was up to them to make the approach to talk to him and so that began the process that ended in him being appointed as the Welsh manager so now I'm the Welsh um, reporter and Gary's now the Wales manager this is like you know this as as a sort of from where we'd started with me sort of doorstepping him off the training ground at Leeds United you know we were we were in a sense we were both going on a journey together uh, you know, our, our careers were developing in different ways and we were moving into different areas and aspects, but there was still a sort of, to an extent, they were running in parallel because we're the same same age, by the way. That was another factor. Um, so the, there was a sense it was running in parallel a little bit uh, until it wasn't, obviously. And so that that was the work. The working relationship was also a, um, a social relationship. I mean, we weren't so I didn't go to his wedding or anything like that. We weren't bosom buddies, but whenever we, whenever we met up, we could go and have a drink or we'd have a bite to eat or whatever it might be. You know, it was, it was kind of, and that's unusual because you don't establish too many relationships like that in football from the reporter side to the, to the playing side. Um, it's that, that's, that's less, you know, that's not particularly common, frankly. I mean, obviously what a man, but what a player as well. I, I'd argue he's still underrated when you look back at just how good he was. I'd, however many, he, he was the record appearance holder in the Premier League for a good while. But just what a player. I think he's like a modern player in a sense. And I think he'd fit into the modern era even better than probably fitted into his own era. There's like levels of fitness and that, and that sort of just yeah. willingness to work and stuff like that. Um, coupled with ability, I and mean, he would always, uh, you know, he would say he probably wasn't the best player in the world, but he, his, you know, what he'd do to compensate for that would be things like the work rate and the effort and the commitment and the, and just the attitude as well. That sort of, um, you know, which he then transferred, particularly with Wales, he transferred that into into what he did with Wales. So he was, he was somebody that whenever a fan watched him play, I think they always felt they were getting the best of him, you know, and that's um, that's. That's a massive accomplishment in itself because it's the one thing that most fans demand as the, you know, that's the priority. You can you can make mistakes, you can get it wrong, but as long as we feel that you're committed, fully committed to the task, every time we see you, then that's the one that that 
that wins most people over. And I think he, I think he certainly did that. Everywhere he went, he seemed to do that. Um, as the the reaction to to his passing kind of really showed, because it was so widespread. One hundred percent. And just Gary Speed at Newcastle, Brim, two FA Cup finals, scored really crucial goal for Newcastle in the quarterfinals of the UEFA Cup second leg at St. James against PSV. And people kind of almost forget that moment that Newcastle were in European competition. Champions League as well against Dynamo Kiev. Exactly. Um, semi-finals of the UEFA Cup. Yeah, he scored some really crucial goals. The goal I remember, which I don't I, know. No, I, was just the, I, was just, I was just creating the Newcastle and Europe bit, sorry. I know. <laughs> it did happen. It's like that not... It's like that Norwich game. Sorry, I'm. I'm... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go on, go on. I bet the last time we were in Europe, we played Wrexham. But um, no, we uh, the one the one guy I actually remember. I don't know if Sam Sam can remember. I don't know if maybe even you might be reporting on it, Brent. I, I can't. I can't remember. But it was a goal against Blackburn, and it was just a header. But it went so high up in the air, like it 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 went miles. Like honestly, you couldn't even see it out of shot. And it just drops in over Brad Friedel into the net. And I just think it was just, honestly, you talk about moments or surreal moments. And that is one moment that I can re- remember about Gary Speed in terms of what he did for Newcastle. Because that was kind of when I was growing up and Newcastle actually were half decent at football. Um, but that was when Savoy Robson was manager. I'm going to read that one. He loves Sir Bobby Robson. Um, you know, and Gary was lucky enough to work under a number of very different managers, starting with Howard Wilkinson all with sort of different, very different ways of working. Um, but Sir Bobby Robson was the one that he would mention in conversation as being, I think, the one who'd had the biggest influence on him in terms of the, the way that he'd, um, he'd been impressed by him. Anyway, carry well, on. He was, very, he was very impressed by him because there was a, there was a quote that he said um, when he left Newcastle, because he left in 2004, um, just kind of when Savoy Robson was leaving, he left a couple of months after. He said, "I could talk. About, I could stand here and talk about Gary Speed for another ten minutes, and everyone will miss him. We're, we want to give him the biggest accolade he deserves. Uh, he'll be a miss in the dressing room, in the training room, the restaurants, the planes, the buses, and every concert of that boy coming into Newcastle and playing for the club. Him departing, he will be severely missed. And I think that just sums it up." Yeah, well, that kind of actually um, picks up from, if you like, the description I've, I've given you there of somebody who could uh, operate in many different social circles comfortably without having a sense of awkwardness about either for yourself or for themselves. Um, so that, yeah, you know, so Bobby's um, summed it up really nicely there. That, that was, it was the um, the human aspect of, of what uh, Gary was that was every bit as important as the you know, the professional, the footballing aspect. Sounds unbelievable memories. Yeah, I always, the one, that's why I mentioned it previously, the one that stuck in my mind was um, he got us back into the game against Dynamo Kiev in the Champions League. This was, um, you won't believe this, Bryn, but we'd not long beaten Juventus. <laughs> Newcastle United beat Juventus. I'm Lost our first goal, but it was Andy Griffin's really. But we obviously lost the first three games of the group stage and then got the win over Juventus. And then we needed to beat Dynamo Kiev to kind of give ourselves a chance going into the last game of progressing, which obviously we know now that we we did. But we were 1-0 down and a typical Gary Speed bullet header, diver head, just classic Gary Speed from what I remember. It was just... 
I can't remember him ever having a bad game. Like, where you'd say as a fan, like, oh, Speedo had an absolute stinker today. He was just absolute, just solid as a rock in that midfield. Yeah, well, it, that, and that, that is another thing he took with him from club to club to club, wasn't he? Kind of first pick player. Um, so he was, yeah, I suppose he'd be described as a manager's dream on that basis. Um, yeah. Because he would have been um, very, very low mileage in terms of what was, you know, the, the attention that he required, but would just go out and do his job. I mean, I um, think back to his, I guess a lot of him play for Wales in particular, frankly, uh, and Leeds United probably second to that. Um, but that heading ability, I was mentioning it in the Leeds United commentary uh, last weekend, that heading ability, the sort of set-piece ability, that ability to get off the ground to great heights, time the run to perfection, but then the power and the precision in the header as well. Um, so there's so many of those Gary Speed goals that you kind of that you kind of remember. Um, so that was one aspect of his of his game that was that was um, particularly memorable, if you like. I think the biggest tributes could be Bryn. I don't know if you're at this game. Um, it was Leeds versus Newcastle. Um, I was. I think. Yeah, Ellen Road. Yeah. I, I, well, not only was I at Ellen Road, but I was with Gary's mum and dad at Ellen Road because they oh, were really? wow. the first meeting, wasn't it? And it was the uh, weekend anniversary of, of his death. Yeah. So um, Roger and Carol uh, were invited to attend the game by Leeds United, and then Leeds contacted me and said, because I, I know um, both of them said, "Would you kind of do you want to come along and?" I don't know if chaperone's the right phrase, but to be with them anyway. So um, I said, absolutely, yeah. So I went down and I met up with uh, Roger and Carol in reception at Leeds. And we got walked around the pitch before the game, just before the game, um, because uh, they'd arrived a little bit late. So it, it was minutes before kickoff and we walked around in front of the away end. And that was, um, wow, that was very emotional because the um all four sides of the ground that the sort of the the applause that was ringing out and the all four sides of the ground chanting gary's name and walking around the edge of the pitch with his mum and dad um that you know it's one of those things that you, you you'll never you'll never forget that and we went and we watched the game we went all the way up into the east stand the middle tier of the east stand where the kind of the balcony and the box seats are and we watched the game from there and there was a bit before midway through the first half i think or a bit later and it'd been a cloudy it was a more early kickoff wasn't it it was been a cloudy day and um the sun cleared and the sun sorry the clouds cleared and the sun shone through the ray of sunlight shone through the cloud and onto the pitch and gary's mum carol said oh that's Gary that it was oh my god um the, the it, to take you back those are the things that you would, I would never anticipate as a nine-year-old thinking I just want to go and watch football and talk about football I guess you grow up don't you and, and all these things happen and, and that's part of the process of growing up but that was um I mean that whole period that whole thing was was um the blackest event in my um, professional life and that sounds um I don't even like the way that sounds in a sense, but it was the it was the hardest thing I've ever had to work on, obviously, by by far, yeah. because of the circumstances. And then to have, um, to still be in touch with Roger and Carol after, and, to, and then to have an event like that, which just proved to them, and it was really important, I think, right in saying, it was important to them 
that that happened because as parents they wanted to feel the love for gary if you like i think i think that's hopefully that's just a tiny 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 compensation for what they've lost a tiny little bit that this sense that what gary left behind um, was very important to people yeah i mean i still remember the day the news broke so vividly which i mean it was the day after um newcastle drew with man united at old trafford and he was on football focus and a match of the day wasn't it and um the the day after when the news broke two things stick in my mind um which was robbie savage on bbc news 24 and um yourself Bryn, on on sky did did sky like make it clear that look you don't have to report you don't have to you don't have to do this or did you just want to do it because you felt a sense of like duty to you if you like to, to your friend um in the first instance they made it clear they thought i should report on it and in the second instance i did think ultimately that i should do it because i felt it should be done um, for want of a better phrase properly um so uh the first bit frankly wasn't great um there was some pressure applied the second bit probably ultimately was maybe not the right decision given what happened by the end of the day but um i was doing it for that reason um so um it became you know the thing with sky sports news that you always know is that when you um go to do a story like that it literally is all in because it's and that means five o'clock in the morning till whenever it is at night and you know that before the start of it you know so if you're a transfer deadline day reporter you are there at 6 a.m and you might still be there at midnight or one o'clock or two o'clock the following morning so you know that before you go into it so i knew how the thing worked so i knew that there was no uh, technically there was no escape route there if i was going to cover the story i was going to be at ellen road at 6 a.m which is exactly what happened and i was probably still going to be at ellen road at 6 p.m or beyond which is also what happened so in normal circumstances if you're detached from a thing from the story you stand up there and you report on it and through the course of the day um you know you try and keep abreast of what's going on developments da 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 but this was so completely different because there was only one aspect and angle to this and it was going to be the same thing that we talked about from the first hour to the last hour there was no going to there was no development to this story uh, it wasn't going to progress anywhere we were just going to talk about this one thing so that's how the kind of um, the cumulative impact of it built up through the course of the day because not only was i reporting the story but i was at ellen road so that Billy Bremner statue that you'll know on the, on the corner by Ellen Road had become the focal point for people to come and put flowers and stuff, and it was happening at grounds across the country. But people would come, and I'd be standing there. You're very, uh, it's a, again, a bit like Transfer Deadline Day. When you're in these situations, you're very exposed. You know, there is, unless you go and sit in the car, uh, or there's a satellite truck, so unless you go and sit in the satellite truck and kind of hide yourself away, you're out, you're just out there. You're in the street, you know, or you're in the midst of people. So people will naturally, understandably, come and would want to come and talk. So they'd put flowers down there, they'd want to come and talk. Um, and that happened, you know, all the way through the course of the day, because people were coming in larger and larger numbers as the day progressed. So it was a constant conversation 
And I'd never, ever been in that situation before. You know, up until that point, I'd been really lucky. I hadn't lost any members of my family, um, well, grandparents, but I was tiny when that had happened. So I had not been in this situation before of, of having to talk about the loss of somebody that I knew well. And yeah, I was trying to do it here, live on telly, for people who were actually interested in the story, um, and maybe not always so fixated on the on the impact, because the impact was, you know, somebody said to me on one thing, um, there were lots of other people ringing up talk sport, and different people ringing up for, to talk about it, and somebody said to me, one of the things that I, that I agreed to do said, oh yeah, what do you think the, the impact on football will be, uh, and I said, my response was to say, well, it, it's irrelevant. It doesn't matter what the impact on football is. You know, this is not a football story, really. This is a this is a story about a human, a guy who's a, a husband and a father and a brother and a son who has taken his own life. And the, the story is about the impact on those people around him. Football is like, you know, so, so football's, people in football are really sad, but football just, football just moves on. Football kind of absorbs it and, you know, and we go we go forward kind of thing. So the impact, there's no impact on football per se um, at that point in particular. So it was just a point, that was actually the point I went to make at the start of the day. Um, and maybe in some senses that was not what people were anticipating in terms of, in terms of reaction, but um, that was what I'd gone to say effectively. Uh, so I had some success, limited success in trying to get that point across, I, I hope. Um, but by the end of the day, I'd, I'd had enough. I mean, I'd barely slept anyway. And um, the day before, I genuinely just sat and wept most of the day. And again, that was a completely new experience for me. I'd never been put in this situation before or had this happen to me before, so I didn't know how to handle it. And by the end of the day, it, was all, it all came on top by the end of the day. And the cameraman who I was working with, who's a brilliant, brilliant guy. In fact, he was one of part of our team at Wrexham last night. So, you know, ongoing long-term long relationships with these guys. And he'd spotted it and he was kind of trying to make, um, trying to get in touch with Sky to say, I think he's, I think he's had enough here. I think, I think he's done. And they took one more, they took one more report and he was right. He'd made the call and it was one too many. And I, I sort of broke down in the middle of it. And that was the point at which they then rang and said, Oh yeah, you can go home now. <laughs> Thanks, guy. And, and, so, and so off I went and they gave me the next day off. Um, but that was, you know, because that's not meant to happen. That that you're meant to be, you know. I was, I was, um, I think I got home that night. My two kids, bless them, I'd actually, I think they'd seen it, which is not great. But I think um, one of them said, as I walked in through the door, I think one of them said something like, "Oh, embarrassing," and actually, oh. but actually, that was absolutely what was required at that point, because. Um, that was kind of their reaction to seeing their dad looking a bit daft on TV, which is a, is a human reaction and a normal reaction to seeing your dad looking daft on TV. So that actually was uh, that was actually quite good. Yeah. It may not sound like she's, <laughs> she's, she's in Durham at the moment, so um, I uh, maybe shouldn't tell that story in case uh, in case anyone picks up on it up there. But it was actually it was actually just what was required at the time, frankly, and um, because there was an element of me that was like, well, I'm supposed to be professional and I'm supposed to be the guy who reports what's happened here, and I've singularly, ultimately failed to do that today. So you still have that at the back of your head as well. 
Um, but that that the rest of that week, the, the following weekend, there were two games played. There was um, Leeds v Millwall, and then the day after, Everton played somebody at Goodison Park. I can't remember who it was, and uh, I got asked by Soccer Saturday to the Millwall game, the Leeds Millwall game, which is a really high, you know, um, tension fixture anyway for obvious reasons. Um, so I went to do that one, and obviously that was the next game after. So there was that was heavy, quite heavy going in terms of the coverage. But I worked only on Soccer Saturday on that game, and the, and the reason I did that, I actually Sky Sports News said, right, well you're going to do it for Soccer Saturday. We need you there at whatever time in the morning. And actually, one of the very few times I think I said, no, I'm not doing it. I'm not going to do that. Uh, and the guy said, well, why not? I said, I can't do that again. I did that on Monday and I'm not I don't want to go and stand there again and do the same thing again um, so I'll, but he said but you're going to cover the game I said but that's different because Soccer Saturday ultimately is about covering the game and so we will definitely reflect this obviously in terms of what's said before the match but then they'll want me to talk about the game and I I'm happy to go and talk about the game because that's the escape route isn't it you know, the football is the escape route and that's the bit that we do forget sometimes so um so that's what i did i went to cover it for soccer saturday we talked about gary before the game in the build-up to it and then the match started and we talked about the match um and then the following day sky sports news decided they would dispatch me to everton to do that game again it was match coverage frankly so that bit i could handle um but i walked into goodison park first of all I bumped into Barry Horn, very good friend of mine, and Barry was very good pals with Gary um, from the same part of the world and all the rest of it. First of all, I bumped into Barry, and then the next person I bumped into in reception at Goodison was Roger, Gary's dad. And I'll, again, that's another one of those moments from that week that I'll never forget. Um, because Gary had been a big Evertonian, and his dad's a big Evertonian, and we were meeting again. I hadn't seen Roger for years, and we were meeting again in these awful, awful circumstances in reception at Goodison Park, you know, you literally, you, you, you couldn't write it in a sense. It just, it was also awful, frankly. It was really, it was really bad. Um, yeah. But, you know, um, the fact the Everton fans were, the Everton fans were great in terms of what they did that day. The club were brilliant as well. Everton were brilliant in terms of what they put on that day. Um, and everybody was actually, you know, all the clubs that Gary had been at and be, and other clubs as well um, all made a massive effort to, to reflect and mark his passing um, in sort of, in very moving ways, but quite um, intelligent ways, I thought, you know, emotionally intelligent ways as well. Newcastle did their own sort of tribute, uh, Bryn, and I'll, we'll, we'll move on from this after I tell this, this little bit. It was actually the Swan, Newcastle played Swansea the week after um, and... It might have been two weeks after. I don't know what exactly, but uh, two weeks after because it was um, Chelsea the week after. Because yeah. I always remember it's the, the whole thing so stuck in my mind. Um, uh, John Carver in the minute silence had broke yeah. down. At Swansea were playing Aston Villa, and there was that famous footage of, of Shea giving it in tears as well. That that just all of it just yeah. sticks in my mind like it, it was yesterday. But go on, Johnny. Sorry. No, I was just going to say because Newcastle played Swansea, and ironically in a Welsh club as well. And we, I, everyone, because I was sitting in the Gallagher stand that day. Well, that's where my season ticket is, and we were given 
I think, I think it looked like it was either a Welsh hymn or the Welsh national anthem. I can't remember, but it was, um, it was every, like, I think every Newcastle fan tried to sing it as well as they yeah, could. Yeah. No, I don't think they'd ever heard it before, if I'm honest, but it was just, it was nice. It was all black and white. And obviously, I think Roger was there that day as well, um, amongst other of his family members. So it was a really touching moment, to say the least. Um, but moving on to one of Gary's former clubs, Leeds United. I think it's almost uh-huh. a club Nettie, Nettie is closest to your heart now, Bruno, um, being obviously commentator since uh, 2019. You've seen them get promoted and obviously doing really yeah. well. Um, yeah. How much have you relished that opportunity to be commentator of, of a club like the size of Leeds United? It must give you immense pleasure and an honour. Well, it's my second time doing it because my um, first role when I made the BBC Leeds move, the Gary Speed bit and all the rest of it, one, I, after a few months of doing that there, I'd gone there on the promise that um, I could get more involved. They basically they take me in to be a football reporter, and, and they knew I could commentate because I'd already done a few bits and bobs before I got there. Uh, it was part of the interview process, so I'd been taken on uh, with the understanding that when an opportunity arose on that front, that I could um, take it up or have a crack at it. So within the first twelve months of being there, uh, I'd done my first Leeds United commentary, and then the opportunity arose. Peter Drury was the guy um, who was doing it at that time Pete's now obviously um, gone on to superstardom since and there and so I when he moved on there was another guy did it briefly and then he couldn't do it anymore and I picked it up from there on and did it then for the next six years so that was like all every game home and away um, with Leeds United and so that helped me I used to work with Norman Hunter used to be my most regular co-commentator a great man of the northeast a lovely 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 man and I, working with him was a fantastic experience. Um, we sort of built up a nice rapport and um, people enjoyed the coverage. So that you know, the listening figures were really good and all the rest of it. And we were able to sort of, um, uh, I don't know, carve out something of a niche, if you like, or if that's the right phrase. But um, we enjoyed doing it. And then I decided that maybe it was the time to make the move on. And that's how the, the sky roll came up. So I went off to do that and I left the Legion United thing behind, despite the at that time, Leeds were Premier League, so they were getting quite a lot of coverage. So, I, in fact, they were getting an awful lot of coverage because I went through all the financial collapses and all the rest of it through the Ridsdale era. So, I spent an awful lot of time by that Bremner statue we've just mentioned there, sort of standing reporting on yet another financial crisis and interviewing administrators. And I got to know people at KPMG, and that's when you're thinking, oh my God, this is so far away from what I thought this job was about. This, you know, I'm talk- I've got to know what a flat pack administration is here. You know, what- <laughs> when, did, when did I ever anticipate flat back four? Yeah, flat pack administration. You know? <laughs> um, so it, it, the, the job took me so far away from where I really wanted to be at that point. It was all the United's fault, frankly, with their, with their ongoing financial problems. So um, I, I wasn't doing commentaries at that stage, but I was around the club an awful lot. Uh, so but we'll fast forward to 2019 and the Sky uh, gig ended. And so uh, at the end of that season, Leeds blew the playoffs, obviously against Derby, spectacularly, a game at which I was at. Um, and then uh, that summer they said, OK, well, do you fancy doing the... We're relaunching the LUTV coverage. So do you fancy doing the commentaries for that? So uh, it was it was a great opportunity for me. I was trying to establish a freelance portfolio at that stage anyway. So this was going to be a sort of... Um, significant elements of that freelance portfolio because it was kind of guaranteed regular work if you like for want of a better phrase 
so um so i said yes and and it, there was a real sense of it actually kind of being like full circle because i'd started effectively at the start of my broadcast career i was the Leeds united commentator and there was surprisingly still quite a few people who remember the first stint to the first go i'd had at it 20 years earlier um so uh, I did go in with a little sort of groundswell of at least initial good feeling. I think, uh, you know, goodwill behind the uh, behind the um, behind the move, and then it was a job of convincing a new audience that I had uh, anything relevant to say to them. So, um, you know, we set about the task of doing that through the course of last season, um, hopefully successfully. But you'd have to ask other people that. But it was great fun. <laughs> it was great fun. I tell you what was good. Yeah, the theme that we've we've discussed is that it was you know it was just football focused. It was just I did some in I did some um, I hosted some sort of programs for them in between, so stuff they put on the website, which I enjoyed doing. But it was pretty predominantly it was all, it was all football focused, but it was it was match focused. So it was about me going to the games, you know, home and away, um, and that's still the bit commentating now rather than doing the soccer Saturday bit but that's still the bit that you know you get them I get the most satisfaction out of um, I mean it must be fun watching that Leeds United team now at the moment compared well, to what we have to watch every week but well, it's it's a great time for them but that's been the absolute that's actually been the pleasure because if you're a football fan I would contend I think what you want to watch is what Leeds United serve up you know and being yeah. a football fan Again, it touches on elements of what we've talked about. Being a football fan, to me, involves actually liking football. And I have a suspicion that there are quite a lot of people who call themselves football fans currently who don't really like football. They support a team. And that's a slightly different thing to liking football. Um, some people like a team and support a team and like football. Um, but some people don't. So that anything that their team does is good, or in some cases really bad, nothing else is really of any great interest to them. It's just the act of following the team that's the most important thing to them. Whereas I've actually always liked football, if you know what I mean. So I will, I, I'll see a bit of football, or I'll see a game that's between two sides who interest me, and I think, oh, I'd like to see that. So that's how you end up, if you're in Europe, you know, on holiday in Europe, on a campsite in France, and you see there's a game advertised, um, you know, pre-season friendly or whatever, you think, oh, oh I think I'll, I'm going to go and have a look at that. You know, and you end up watching some obscure French lower division football. I don't know. I, listen, I do anyway. That's that's <laughs> kind of the thing I'm trying to describe here, you know, um, and dragging members of your family along as well, um, trying to convince them that it's really important. So, but, so that's the bit all going to watch Geisley and Bradford Park Avenue, those sorts of things. Whereas if you're a fan of a, a, a football fan of a club you say I'm not gonna watch them it's rubbish but I, I'd like to go and watch football so to me Leeds are the um uh, the best exponent of that experience that I have seen for quite a long time currently and that incorporates the things that many fans of the club would say are the, are the bad things as well as the good things in other words they concede loads of goals but they also score loads of goals uh, but the approach to it approach to every game is exactly the same so you know what you're going to see um, and that's actually good because it creates an expectation of consistency there and because the product is really interesting, entertaining, exciting, at least on that level, you're going to be engaged. You know, you don't know who's going to score all the goals. It could be the other lot, as the Premier League has proved. Last year, I was really lucky in terms of the timing because last year, Leeds blasted the Championship, frankly, ultimately. And there wasn't a game... 
Uh, I was musing on this the other day. I think actually the first game of the season is not given enough significance because I think quite often when I think back down the years, I think you look at the first game of the season, you can actually make a value judgment on where your club's going to go from the basis of what you see in the first 90 minutes um, based on who they're playing and how they play. And Leeds went to Bristol City. The very first game I'd done, this was my this was my return to commentary uh, on Leeds United. They went to Bristol City, who were expected to be one of the form teams in the Championship, and they battered them. You know, they won 3-1. They battered them. And so straight away, you think, I think they could do all right this year. And the evidence of that then played out over the, over the course of the remaining weeks, and as it turned out, many, many months. Um, so it was, it was a pleasure. It was a pleasure to watch that type of football and the pleasure has not been diminished by Leeds getting promoted to the Premier League in fact in many senses it's been enhanced because whereas Leeds were winning every game last season by and large this year they're not but you never know now you've literally yeah. no idea what you're going to turn up and see now and it could be four at one end or four at the other end um, or four at both ends so uh, it's it's they're the most exciting uh, mid-table team, in my opinion, there's ever been. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's yeah. it's like it's wildly entertaining mid-table mediocrity. <laughs> it's like, and that obviously is a, is a will be a huge achievement because they've approached it with a mindset that it seems completely alien to everything else that's happened in football in recent years, which is that we don't want to draw any games. We're not bothered about drawing any games. Draws are uh, it, it actually draws are pointless. Doesn't make any sense because of course they are. They, there does not seem to be any sense that Leeds United ever set out. They definitely haven't. They've never set out to draw a game, genuinely. So this whole park the bus concept, they will go one up and then we'll drop the and two banks of four and all the rest of it, complete anathema, just does not happen. So their approach is, well, if we can score more goals than the other lot, we'll get three points. And three points is worth far more than one point. So as long as we can get enough of the three points, even if the other lot end up scoring more against us, ultimately, we're still going to be okay. So if you win half your games, you stay up. You can lose the other half. Yeah. And it's just, it's just an approach that, um, that nobody else seems to have kind of cottoned onto as a concept. It, I, I guess it's the, it's the risk and the terror that's involved of, of setting out to do it that way. So, and it's all down to the guy, Marcelo Bielsa, you know that. I mean, you know, far. You guys have those sort of revered figures in the Northeast. Well, he is that in Leeds. I mean, yeah. he is, he has godlike status here, genuinely. And, and he lives this humble life in a little flat in Weatherby, just up the road from where I am now. And, you know, wanders the street, goes for his Costa coffee when it was open. Um, that's the life he leads. This guy has status like you would not believe here because of what he's achieved. In Not just, in fact, again, Leeds promoted was obviously huge. And that back end of last season, pressure on every game um, was immense. And that was just in the commentary box. But the fact that he had managed to achieve that and now to see Leeds probably three points away from a guaranteed Premier League status again next season, maybe even, might have even already achieved it, frankly, given what's happening in the bottom three, bottom four, Sorry, sorry. Anyway, was it? Yeah, Leeds, great, great. It's great. We're loving it. We're loving it. Yeah, I mean, what? I think you guys are really good contrast because you don't seem to be having an awful lot of fun, and yet your teams, 
You've been in the Premier League much more regularly than Leeds United have in the last 20 years. Um, and, you know, at times in that period, you've had half-decent teams and you've certainly had half-decent players and actually quite a lot of money has still been spent despite all the kind of the, the sort of negativity and all the rest of it. Uh, and yet you guys don't seem to be having much fun. That's just... oh, no. Well, you just spoke about how fun it Damn. is and how, how, how exhilarating Leeds are to watch. I mean, we were turned up to Sheffield United with a back, uh, with a back five. So, you know, <laughs> trying to almost like Tram were playing for a point. I'm just going to get my charger because I'm running low on battery because well. there's one second. I'm as quick as I can. <laughs> but yeah, when you turn up to Sheffield United, who hadn't won a game all season, playing with a back five and just with so negativity, it, it's, then you look at Leeds, who are kind of like a, a, a poor reminiscence of the entertainers is probably a bit harsh on Leeds, but you kind of know what I mean. It's that style of play for yeah. the entertainers, but... Obviously, you said it yourself, mid-table mediocrity, whereas the entertainers were challenging for titles. But you, from the outside looking in, we'd love to be playing like Leeds at the moment. It's so much more fun. But it, it also may yet produce what it's meant to produce because there is still a chance that if Leeds finish well, um, then they they might push on a little bit. You know, they might they could finish within the top ten. Still, I think there's quite a lot of. I think there's quite a lot of points for Leeds to pick up amongst uh, from from the bottom feeders, as it were, still, and um, probably one or two maybe surprise results along the way. That's one of the aspects that's effectively been missing so far. You know, they tend to get beaten by the teams above them and beat the teams below them, but that's actually a recipe for success. That's fine as long as you're higher from table in the first place. Um, but they've also one of the things I find very commendable is that they're doing it with now they're doing it with the same team that got promoted last season. There's only Rafinha left of the, of the summer signings; the rest are all crocked. Um, so it, it, the the team is basically the same team that's been developed over a number of seasons, which is incredibly unusual. It's such a shame that fans aren't in, particularly from the Leeds United perspective currently, because they've actually kind of fallen in love with this team that's that's in front of them now because. This team's been together for three or more seasons now. Some of them have been at the club considerably longer than that. And that just doesn't happen anymore, that you've got the same, fundamentally, the same 11 or 13 who, who stay together. Sheffield United is the other current example. So, obviously, the, the fear with Leeds will be that they don't suffer in the same way that Sheffield United have suffered this season by keeping the same group together. I think you have to refresh and you have to reinvigorate stuff. And I'm sure Leeds will do that. But the one thing they will not, whilst that guy is in charge, the one thing they won't deviate from is the is the approach and the and the game plan is going to remain the same. So, you know, whatever that brings with it, um, that that will remain the same. One of the things that I like about watching them, it isn't just the football; it's the fact that every player, and we talked about Gary Speed along these lines earlier, every player in that eleven appears to be totally committed to that particular game. Every single one of them. And that's all the stuff, the little social media clips you've seen of five men chasing back to surround the man in possession in the 93rd <laughs> minute. That's that, that, that's the aspect of it that actually, ultimately, I find probably in a way most refreshing because that means that every single member of that group has, has bought into this um, thing that the manager has instilled at the club. Those who haven't bought into it have left and those who are... Because there's a, I mean, he demands total commitment in every aspect. You know, it's a monk-like existence for these lads. Um, not that they could go out and celebrate much at the moment, anyway. But they, they just don't do any of that stuff. They can't because if they go in and weigh, I don't know, 
you know, a, a pound over what they're meant to be as their target weight. The likelihood is they get dropped from the team. So that day in, day out, they're under enormous pressure to conform to the, to the, the demands that the manager places. So if they agree to do that, the deal is I'll make you, I'm not, I don't even know if I'll make you a better player is the deal, but I'll make your career better, I think is, it appears to be the deal. Because he's done that for so many of the squad who've come up through divisions, um, you know, played in lower leagues to play with. So somebody like Liam Cooper dabbled with the Premier League briefly and then you think we're not going to see, the Premier League's not going to see Liam Cooper again. And there he is, captain of Leeds United now as, as, the, as the one regular central defensive pick sort of thing. So there is a bargain there between Bielsa and his playing squad. Um, and he's a group of players who are all into it. They'll do it. And they're great lads. They're, you know, I like that aspect as well. Gary Speed, we talked about Gary as being a great lad. Fundamentally, that's how you describe Gary as a great lad. And I think that element is present in the lead squad in, in uh, a large... Fans like people they can like, don't they, I think? You know, players, yeah. they like players they can like. Uh, and you have and just, oh, sorry, Ben. I was just going to say, just just finally, um, Newcastle, you've watched them twice. <laughs> and Leeds, unfortunately, well, fortunately from your, probably your side of it, have uh, come out on top on both games. Um, from what you've seen, do you think Steve Bruce can keep Newcastle up this season? He should do, because there's still a decent enough gap. Um, and you've still, you've got good players. I mean... You know, if you compare every week we go and do Leeds games, we compare the Leeds bench with what the opposition bench looks like. And most weeks you go, oh, international, 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 experienced Premier League player, international. And the Leeds one, you know, from three down goes under 23, under 23, under 23. Um, so there's still a huge difference between Leeds and the rest. Newcastle's bench has that aspect to it, that international, international, international thing. So there's a group of players there who've been pretty expensively assembled, um, not as expensively assembled as others, who should have enough within the in the group to, to stay up. What I would say is that, particularly on the basis of the game at Ellen Road, I thought Newcastle were one of the poorest sides that Leeds have played this season. Um, and so that's a one-off experience. Not quite so in the second game at St. James's, but still weren't great, frankly. Um, but that first game at Leeds, that would be a worry to me because Leeds do have that soft underbelly, that sort of, as Newcastle exploited that day, you know, got a set-piece goal, got an early goal. Uh, I, I came back into it to level when Leeds would be a, potentially at a wobble and then Leeds just went bumps into that sixth gear that Leeds can go into sometimes and then they just kind of got amongst it and um, they, they looked a much better side than Newcastle by the end of that particular game. That would be a slight concern to me um, to be to concede five against a, a newly promoted side in that kind of manner. When you've been in the game, in the lead first and then back level again in the game, I get level again and let Leeds back into it at home as well. So I would be, be slightly nervous, but I, I just can't see it happening. I think the bottom three, I assume the bottom three is going to be the bottom three. Oh, I hope so. Although four, four, <laughs> Fulham are picking up a bit, aren't they? Ooh. Oh, don't say that, Brent. <laughs> <Don't say that. laughs> well, we've got the last, last day of the season. We play Fulham away. Oh, my word. It's the Kevin Keegan derby. It's oh, the McDonald derby. It's the, I don't know, whoever, any, anybody else derby. Um, I, um, I, I think that, I still I think that will be the case. But Leeds have been in the situation of doing what you may be doing now, which is where you start to take 
as much interest in other people's results. So you actually now just want West Brom to lose every week. Yeah. And you want Sheffield United. <laughs> now you want Sheffield United to lose every week because that's like, right, well, two of those slots are probably allocated there, aren't they? So we've just yeah. got to make sure as long as Fulham, if Fulham can keep drawing every week now, it, it probably still wouldn't be enough. So um, you, we're all, Leeds have been at that stage and they're slightly more relaxed having got past the 30 point mark now. Slightly more relaxed about things. So you'd look at it and go one more win, just one more win, and you, you should be kind of ready for next season. Um, and that's that's something Leeds have actually got to cope with because Leeds are used to playing highly pressurised games. They've been playing three seasons of incredibly pressurised football. These, every single game has been like a cup final. Um, so I'll be interested to see how it, if, they, if they mentally ease off at all. And he won't let them, he's certainly trying not to let them do that. But if they mentally ease off at all, things might not be the same. But, you know, Leeds have got a little beyond that now of looking at those Fulham, Sheffield United, West Brom results, whereas you're probably still having a little glance every time they play, I suspect. Oh, we're massive Burnley fans this evening. I'm oh, yeah. Brain has been I know exactly. Brian, it has been an absolute pleasure chatting for nearly two hours about all things football. And that's the big thing, talking about football, which you've mentioned in loving football. So on behalf of me, Sam, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on today. How are we, the lads? <laughs> Sam, where can everybody get this podcast from? Um, so it'll be out on iTunes, Google, Amazon, Podomatic, Acast, you know, everywhere you get your podcasts and it'll be out on NFTV. Well, you'll be watching it on NFTV now, so well done for finding it. But yeah, um, yeah, please download, subscribe to the podcast and leave a lovely five-star review as well. Some more great guests coming up. But yeah, no, this has been fantastic. Brilliant. And again, if you want to listen more, Brins on LUTV. If you've had enough of Newcastle <laughs> and you want to go to Leeds, Brin will be there to tell you all things I'm also be able to start getting on. But for myself, Sam Milner and the broadcaster Brynlaw, we'll see you all very, very soon. <laughs>